Good morning, everybody. Um, wow, this is great. Uh, it's so awesome to see you all this morning and uh, just so grateful to be together. Before we begin, begin this morning, you'll notice uh, a couple of things. Uh, one, we have, a, we have our first uh, our expanded first breakfast, and I'd like to give it up for, uh, for Trip Tara and, and Henry, Henry Rorig right here who have uh, put it together. Can we, can we give them a little round of applause? So thank you so much for doing that. Uh, one of the things that we've gotten from a piece of feedback is that you'd like to have a, a hot breakfast. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll be having that next month. And, and uh, thanks to those two for making it happen. So, um, all right, before we go any further, let's, uh, let's give thanks to God. Tom, if you'll come up and open us up in prayer, please. Thanks, Tim. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunities that are before us in this day to serve you. We're grateful for your presence in this moment. We thank you for the men who have made their way through the darkness to be here and to share in this very special time together. And we pray, Lord, your blessing upon us as we gather to enjoy a good meal. We're grateful for the food. As we gather to talk to one another, have fellowship, and enjoy each other's company. But most of all, Lord, to hear from your word. And we pray your blessing upon Darren as he comes to speak from his heart and to share his story this morning. Thank you, Lord, for, again, this opportunity. We thank you for the way your spirit is moving amongst our men. And pray your continued blessing on all that we do as we not only seek to grow in our own faith, but to reach out to others who need to know of your love and grace in their lives. Bless our time together. Bless each person here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, Real quick before we begin, um, Mike, will you want to come up and uh, Mike's going to share something with us. Just real briefly, I was thinking about uh, Al Waters when he talked to us back in November, December about that greeting card ministry his old men's group had. And uh, uh, I just wanted to thought be good to pour a little love on Pam Page, you know, keeping Rick in, uh, uh, in our thoughts. I've thought a lot about that guy in the last four or five months. And so uh, I got a card, and uh, I'm going to pass it around just for us to sign it. And it's got a front and a back, and let's smother this card uh, from the RMC men's group. So it'll be coming around. I failed to mention something before the prayer, and I want to uh, do that because a number of you have asked. But thank you for your prayers for Anne, my wife. I know a number of you have been lifting her up in prayer, and I'm grateful for that. We felt those prayers. My wife, Anne, has MS. I think most of you are aware of that. And over the last two months, she's gone through a very serious exacerbation, which escalates all the symptoms and just uh, makes matters for her extremely difficult. She's experienced blindness, uh, loss of use of limbs, uh, dementia, a uh, number of different things that go on because of the, where the lesions on the brain are located. But um, she's coming out on the other side at this point. And that's what we always pray for is that uh, the exacerbation, you know, while it's bad, typically the symptoms begin to fade away. And we're seeing that at this point and grateful for that. But thank you. I wanted to share that with you because a number of you have asked. And I'm just grateful for your prayers and your concern for our family. Thank you so much. Okay, uh, just real quick, um, want to make sure that you, you saw we've got a couple more dates, uh, on the calendar and we're in the process of, uh, planning out, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the next year on it. So appreciate all your support and please take a note of that. Uh, today we have Darren Dean who's going to share with us and, um, 
you know, when we started this uh, men's group, one of the reasons I started it was um, I just felt like there's so many men in this church um, who I see on a regular basis. I really don't know what this story is. And I'd love to know what this story is. And I'd love to know how God's moving in their life. And I'd love to know how I might be, you know, might be able to be a part of it in terms of whether it's an encouragement or just working together. And uh, Darren's someone that just kept popping, a, you know, we just kept crossing paths through the life of the church. I know, I know you all have experienced that as well. And um, when I was, uh, it asked a couple of people who, who, who I might consider to uh, invite to speak to the, to the group. Um, Darren, Darren was someone that, that uh, was mentioned by, by several folks. I think the other thing too is um, we're just, uh, Darren's been very active uh, in the church um, in small group with his, uh, with his small group. And, um, I just think it's important to hear kind of what he has to say. And, and, uh, I'm really looking forward to what he has to share with us today. So Darren, thanks so much for being here and, uh, look forward to hearing your message. Hello. Good morning. Appreciate you coming out this morning. Um, we're going to, we're going to end today at the same place where I ended my faith journey as a child and in youth, and that's in the book of Revelations. But before we get started, we're going to do something. This might be bad, this is something I grew up doing, but if you humor me for a minute, um, God is good. All the, all the time. And all the time. God is good. Amen. Great. I feel more like, more at home now. <laughs> How many of you would say that you live in the vision of tomorrow? Or are you the type of person that lives in the circumstances of today? Living in the vision of tomorrow, living in the circumstances of today. It's a, it's a, it's a hard lesson to learn. Took me a long time, but uh, hopefully we'll get back there today. So I was born in Leesville, Louisiana, a little bitty town, um, frozen in time. <laughs> Humble means small place, one of those places where everybody knows everybody. At the age of six, I got my fire insurance card through the First Baptist Church in Denton, Texas. I understood, understood mortality from a very early age and asked about heaven and hell and where people go and how you get there. And uh, was led through that conversation in prayer as a child. I'd like to say that life was radically different the next day, but I don't know how different first grade can be. <laughs> <laughs> so, I grew up in the church. Uh, Sunday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, we were at church three times a week until the Southern Baptist Conference came through, and then we were in church seven nights a week. <laughs> Once or twice a year. Mission trips, vacation Bible schools, feeding the hungry, serving a great parents and a great support system. And was brought up working hard and giving back and serving others. Um, life doesn't always take the path that you think it will, but was pretty much on the straight and narrow at that point. Had a great youth minister, 8th grade through probably 10th grade, a gentleman named Mike Landry. Um, also had a small group leader, and uh, his name was Kevin Duncan. And during that instrumental time period, they really embarked a foundation of gospel and truth and biblical knowledge. And on one of our trips, Mike Landry made everybody pick up a rock. And he said, I want you to pick this rock up and I want you to put it in your pocket. And I want you to hang on to it and I want you to carry it with you to life. And I want you to remember that Jesus is your rock. Your stronghold, he's always with you and he's immovable. And for some reason, I hung on to this rock. And it's it's one of these things that's resurfaced throughout life. Fast forwarding, we, we moved to Georgia when I'm in high school. Joined the First Baptist Duluth, get involved in the community. And about that time, I had a surgery. And to make a long story short, something went wrong. There was a, a reaction to pain medication that was being delivered to my spinal cord. And when they tried to take me off the machine, the best way I can describe it is it's, it's kind of like somebody poured gasoline all over you. 
it lit you on fire. And the first day it went on for about four hours, the second day about six hours, and the third day with no other options. I'm not sure how long it went on until it broke, but it did. And so I, I came out of there, and friends and family, people from South Carolina, Georgia, Louisiana, all over came to visit. Thought I was going to be okay. Thought I was going to get through it. Had a good foundation. And then there were some questions that started popping in my head. Those, those little quiet questions that come tonight. Why did something like this happen? We're good people. We're honest people. We give back. Live the life. How do things like this happen to good people? Why do they happen to good people? And those questions kept going and kept coming. Kept going to church. And at some point, I got into this line of thinking of, you know, I wasn't there in the beginning. I didn't eat the apple. And I didn't deserve this. And I just, I boiled it down to, I didn't eat the apple. And I put the apple down, along with the, the Bibles of my childhood, and the rock, and I put it away for safekeeping, and walked away. Didn't lose my faith, and didn't walk away from my beliefs, but was certainly walking away from God. Because perhaps we had been left to our own devices in this life, and what was there to gain by doing all this, if it didn't help in the end. So I went to college, and I'd like to tell you this is where I got into drugs and had a bad life and hit rock bottom and had a radical change. <laughs> that didn't happen either. <laughs> I went to school, I studied, I worked hard, I learned about business and economics and money, and had decided that this life was a game of Monopoly, and the faster I could get out and grab a few properties, corner the map, four greenhouses, one red hotel, take the board. And um, believe that we had been left to our own devices, and that nobody was going to control your fate except for you. And that's pretty much the way I lived all through college. Did some charity work, did some things along the way. You ever gotten angry, really angry at somebody, and you can't get away from them? What do you do? You just don't look at them, right? You just kind of look the other way. That's what I did with God, I looked the other way. And sometimes you look away so long, you forget they're even standing there. And you look away even longer still, and you begin to wonder whether they had ever been there to begin with. Can you guys hear me all right? And that was my story. We, um, I, I really had begun to wonder whether God had ever been present in my life to begin with. So I graduate college, and I've got this attitude of, I've got a plan, I've got a strategy, I've got a mission. Life is going to happen like clockwork. And while I don't mean to run people over, I'm in control of my destiny now. And I hurt some people along the way unintentionally, but life goes on. Still believed in God, but like this rock and like my Bibles, I wasn't ready for God in my life, and so I kept putting him back away, not ready for him today. So let's fast forward a little further. I get married. My wife and I moved to Roswell, and uh, she's starting to bug me about going to church. And I'm just not ready, because if we're going to go to church, we're going to do it by the book. One of the first books, stories in the book talks about tithing first fruits, and we're trying to save a house, and I'm not ready for that either. And so there's so many reasons why I don't want to go to church. But most of all, I'm still not sure we haven't been left to our own devices. And that's a problem for me. So I'm, I'm headed up to Gastonia, North Carolina, to meet with an agent uh, with New York Life to find out if our businesses intersect. And his, his name is Ernie Nivens. And before we can get started, we sit down. Older gentleman, been around a long time. He looks at me and he says, Then may I have a question for you before we can get started? Sure, why not? And he said, Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And then he took a little red stone out of his pocket, and he put it up on the table, and he said, you believe that Jesus Christ came to this world, he died on the cross, so that you could have everlasting life? <coughs> yes, sir, I do. I said, well, great. In a former life, before I was doing this, I was a Methodist minister, and uh, it is my mission with everyone I meet that they would hear this story, and I want you to take this red stone, and I want you to put it in your pocket. 
and I want you to carry it with you. <laughs> and I want you to remember what Jesus did for you. On the good days, I want you to say thank you, and on the bad days, I want you to remember there's a solid rock to fall onto. I thought, you know, that, that story sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> it's been a long time. And so what do I do? I ignore it. Put the rock in storage just like everything else and go about my life. A few weeks later, my wife is still bugging me about going to church and all the same reasons I still don't want to go. So now I'm in South Georgia, and I'm going to uh, the Bank of Camilla in Pelham, Georgia, if anyone's ever been to Pelham. And it's a, it's a long route from Valdosta to Pelham, a couple of hours. Down a rural route highway. There's no cell phone service. There's no radio. There's really nothing to do except drive. That's <laughs> the perfect time to catch up on emails. And so I'm driving. I set the cruise probably 70, 80 miles an hour. And I'm reading my Blackberry. And this goes on for a long while. There's nobody out the straight road. And uh, at some point I look up. And I'm probably going 70, 80 miles an hour. And there's a Lincoln. Like one of these 1980s steel tanks. Probably 50 yards in front of me. And he's come to a, wanting to be able to come to a complete stop to make a right turn. He stopped in the roadway. I'm going so fast. And he stopped that I'm in a Chevy Impala. And I thought, this is it. This is how I go. And so I closed my eyes. And I slammed on the brakes. And uh, said goodbye. A few minutes later, I, I opened my eyes. And uh, there was smoke all around, burnt rubber. And I could, I could smell the rubber. I could see the smoke. And as the smoke lifted, I'm sitting in front of the car. In the right lane, somehow we had skid. And I was a good ways up ahead. Heart's pounding through my chest. Can't imagine what I'm doing here. And and how I've even survived, and is this real? And of course, the afterlife is a joke. And um, I look up, and to my right, as the, as the smoke goes away, there's a field, and there's a cross, and there's a church. And so I sit there for a few minutes and think, okay, I hear you, you're calling. <laughs> and so I sat there for about five or ten minutes in a row, just recovering, and I called my wife, and I said, you know, I think... I think, honey, we ought to go to church. <laughs> I said, uh, he's getting louder and louder, and I don't, I don't think I can take much more. So that Sunday, we go to church, and we start at the First Baptist Church here in Roswell, down in Mosa, and then we later become the traditional service over here. And there's an older gentleman that greets us at the door, and a uh, smiling, very friendly guy welcomes, welcomes us to, to RUMC. So we go and we sit in traditional service, and I say, hey, you know, this Methodist thing, you guys talk in unison, you're doing some things that just don't seem right to me, so why don't we come back and try the contemporary service? So we come back the next week, and there's the same older gentleman at the door, and he smiles, and he remembers us, and he welcomes us in. And uh, so we like it here, and uh, we start coming to church here, and I, and I try to re-engage, I try to remember, I guess academically I understood the stories of the Bible and what it was about, but spiritually, probably on life support at best. Like so many that maybe left and came back, or maybe left and didn't come back. And so we join a small group, and I, I look at the lives of the people around me and their, their stories and uh, their commitments, and they seem to have something that I'm missing, and that's a walk with God. What does that really mean anyways? You know, he's never really answered my prayers. I don't feel like we're in communion. And so I don't know what started to consume me, but my prayers, I went to sleep praying, I woke up praying, and it went something like this. I know we've got some things to talk about, but I really don't understand you. I don't understand your parables and teachings. I don't understand your word. I'm searching for you, but I don't know where you are. I long to hear your voice, but I can't remember the sound of it. Who am I to ask these things, least of all and undeserving of a relationship with you, the creator of all things, but my soul longs for you nonetheless. Surely there's, there's more to life than this, the game of Monopoly. Is this really all you intended for me? I need for there to be more to life than this. I may not be an important person, and I may not be have been born of an important lineage, 
So please don't abandon me in this life. My soul cries out for a relationship with you, the living God. And that's a hard prayer to pray for months unanswered. And so we're probably, I don't know, maybe three to six months into coming to church here. And my grandmother comes to town. They take her to Florida. They go on vacation. She gets sick. They come back. We spend a couple weeks going to the hospital. She has congestive heart failure. And uh, my grandfather had passed away before I was born, and she had remarried. And great woman, but she had married an oppressive man. And uh, not abusive, but just a much older school thought. And I thought, how unfair. He had, uh, he had just passed away about a month before she got sick. That she had just begun to live, and uh, now she's, she's sick. So we go through ICU, and we get the, the story that we fixed the heart, but there was so much damage done. There's just nothing they could do. The organs begin to shut down. We then move to uh, the hospice. We've been doing this now for about a month. And we get to hospice, and she's on all the machines to clean the blood, and she stops accepting food. Body blows up two, three times normal size. And so I get the call one day after going to the hospital and hospice for about a month and a half. It says, it's time to unplug the machines and say goodbye. I'm angry. I'm so angry. Life isn't fair. Such cruelty. This isn't love. If I was a God of love and I could prevent things from happening like this, I would never treat them that way. Similar stories. You ever heard these stories before? And so I'm driving to the hospital knowing that we're going to unplug the machine and it won't take long. And I just start praying. You know, God, uh, who am I to ask these things of you? To talk to you, to approach you. You don't answer my prayers. She's beyond medicine. So if you could give her back, at least for a while, you might could save two people. So we go and we unplug the machines. We pray together as a family. And what should take a few hours takes a little longer. And so that night they send me home. We'll call you tomorrow. It probably won't be too long. Come back tomorrow morning. Call up another day at work. Go to hospice. Heart signs are still faint. Organs still aren't working. We've unplugged the machine. She's not accepting food. And we sit there all day. And we finally say, you know what, just, just go home. She wouldn't want you to be here like this, doing this day after day. It's been so long. And I call the next morning, expecting that maybe she passed in the night. Well, you know, funny thing is, she opened her eyes this morning. And she asked for ice cream about an hour ago. And so your dad ran to the store, and they're working on setting her up. Long story short, three months later, she's she's back home and, and living life in at least Louisiana. And the promise I had made to God that day was, I can't do a lot, and I've been a lot of places, and I haven't been a good servant. But if you can just do something, just show up. I can tell people. That could be me. I could do something simple. And so that was that was the first of what became a, a fairly long road. I kept praying. God kept answering. I asked for him to put people in my path. People showed up. Problems arose. I asked for solutions. They came. I asked for understanding, and understanding came. Uh, I love the MacArthur Bible and all the notes. I needed it for a long time. I don't need it anymore. And that's a pretty cool thing. Some things that, that influenced me along the way, one of them I shared last night before the Lord's meeting is John 14, John 14, 15, where God promises you the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to tell you that if you ask for him, he'll send him, and then he can teach you all things. Still didn't understand why God did the things he did. And then I found Isaiah 55, 8, 9, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. Then I found John 14, 26, he will teach you all things and bring remembrance to all that I've said to you. God took down my strongholds after that. You start to build a relationship with God, and he starts to show you what's wrong in your life. And so over the next period of time, he took down some strongholds, but he replaced them with the right types of strongholds, and I'm thankful for it. And during that time, I think Dr. Mike had been preaching, and they were they were handing out these little cards in church. You know what I'm talking about? Little cards with the memory verses. And about the time my strongholds were being torn down, that, that card came, and it was Philippians 4, 5 through 7. 
Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything present your request to God. Bring your supplication and thanksgiving, and the peace of God will be with you. And that was important. I kept that in my car for about two years. Then I wanted to know what God expected of me, and I found Micah 6.8. Then I wanted to know, am I on the right track? Are we doing the right things? And then I found Ephesians 1.13.14, that you would be sealed with the Holy Spirit, and you would know him in your life, and that was a guarantee of the life to come. And then I, I started praying, now that you've revealed yourself, I don't want you to go. I lived so long without, life was so tough. I don't want you to go away. How should I live my life in a way that could be pleasing to you? <clears throat> Philippians 4, 8 through 9. What if, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. In anything is excellent, it's praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen me, put into practice and the peace of God will be with you. And that was an important scripture of living your life. So where are, where are we today? I'm trying to watch the clock. My prayers receive answers. And it's not intermittent. It's not once in a while. It's all the time. I can see the Holy Spirit at work in my life, my wife's life, all around us. The people God puts in my day and in my path from all walks of life, um, the people that I meet, that we have these discussions with, God is very much alive and at work in our lives. Though I walked away from God, like this rock, and like these, these books, he was always there. I just put him away for a while. And it, it was my own misperceptions that kept me from seeing what was actually there. The trials and I struggle, the struggles that I went through as a young adult over the years, had actually been answered in my childhood. And it, it's something I came across late last night. As I had, had prayed early in the week, I said, what, what could possibly be gained by me sharing my faith cliff? I didn't have a faith journey, I just went straight off the edge of the cliff. And I hit every rock and jagged edge on the, on the way down before I climbed back up. What could possibly be gained by this? What is the purpose of me sharing my story to a, a group of spiritual <coughs> men? And I think it's twofold. If you'll open the folders real quick and just take a sheet out, you don't have to read them. I always think it's cool when, when God reveals a plan or at the end of a struggle, he shows you why he did it. And what I found in these, these Bibles that I hadn't opened since I was about 14 was the Bibles were filled with little pieces of paper with scripture written down and little post-it notes all over them in underlying scriptures. And what I saw at about midnight last night as I was reading through these childhood Bibles and looking at the scriptures I had underlined in middle school as being important is they were answers to most of the problems I was going to struggle with as an adult. What a cool conclusion to come to. That as a child, God had already shown me and taught me that the answers I was going to need were, were right there. They were going to be with me all the time, and if I had just looked to him for the answers... We might have been able to save some heartache. But instead, I like to do things the hard way and, uh, and learn through life's experiences. And so I think at the end of the day, God tested me and he put me through some trials so that I might know that I might know him in a different way and that faith that he built from it might be unshakable. So the last passage that was marked in my childhood Bible was from Revelations. And it's, it's where I left off in my studies at that point in time. Revelations 21, 1-7, a new heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down so these words are trustworthy and true. And so I'll bring you back to, do you live in the vision of tomorrow, or do you live in the circumstances of today? As a child, I was given the foundation and everything I needed. God revealed some truths, even had me write them down for a, for a later date. And I got caught up living in the circumstances of my own life. I began to focus on me and what happened to me today. And I forgot about living in tomorrow. And that being bogged down by life and what happened took me away from the church. I consider myself to be one of the lucky ones. As I was coming to RUMC, searching and going through these struggles, I don't know if without men like you that I would have kept coming. I don't know that I would have found the Holy Spirit and that any of these truths would have been revealed. In fact, I'm absolutely certain I would have come here three or four times, walked out the door, and never walked back in. And so I say that to you because I want you to know the impact that you have on people's lives. From the discipleship group leaders I had in middle school that didn't think I was listening, to the um, youth minister who used to come down the halls all the time, he'd show up at high school or at middle school, and say, boy, you want to do the devil this week? <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Maybe it's because you're walking in the same direction. You need to check yourself. <laughs> but in all seriousness, from my small group to the church leaders to the different people that have spoken to our group and that have interacted, people that have given me books and scriptures to reflect on, you guys were a source of encouragement. To the world, you would have seen a young man in a, in a suit on top of life and taking the world on in stride. But inside, you would have never known the struggle that went on. And without this type of encouragement and environment, wouldn't have what I have today. And I thank you for it. But I encourage you to take it from here. I want you to live in the vision of tomorrow. Stop focusing on the circumstances of today. And I want you to help people find their way. And if you're like me, or you don't know where to point people to start, I'd start with the Holy Spirit and let him take the rest. Because when he took the reins in my life, things changed for the better. So, I appreciate you guys this morning and giving me an opportunity to speak. Um, I hope it was impactful. Thank you. God is good, isn't he? That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. God, God is good and he is at work here. So, um, one of the things is usually at the end of the, uh, end of, uh, uh, end of the speaker, we, we want to give you something to talk about at the table amongst yourself that relates to the talk. But if you haven't heard where we've got this thing going on at REMC calling Re- Restoring God's Temple. <laughs> Amen. Appreciate you, Mike. Thank you so much. And, um, anyways, uh, as part of that, uh, in addition to, um, fast and prayer right now. Um, we have a devotional uh, on our website. So, you know, one of the things you could say is, well, I didn't start at the beginning. Well, right now is a good good time to start. You know, I really do believe that God is going to do amazing things. He's preparing this church and he's preparing each of our hearts and he's stretching us right now. And um, while well, March 23rd certainly is going to be a wonderful celebration, um, it's just, it's so important to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives right now, uh, through, uh, prayer and fasting. Um, and so figure we would share this morning, we would share the devotional. And then there's, if you haven't seen it, uh, there's three questions at the end and, uh, we'll go through it. I had it up a minute ago and, uh, um, anyways, it begins with, uh, this scripture. So I'll read this scripture as hopefully it comes up. 
Um, here's the scripture. It's, uh, it's Mark 5, 1 through 20. Um, then they came to the other side of the sea to see the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And then he asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about two thousand. And the herd ran violently down the uh, steep place into the sea and drowned in, in the sea. So those who fed the swine f- uh, fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion, sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began uh, to plead with him to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And uh, and he had departed and began to proclaim um, in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So... So with that, uh, here's what the devotional says. And, it, and it's so perfect how God works because I think this all this ties right into to Darren and what he had to share today. When it comes to living in your calling, your story is an important part of God's story. The specific, specific ways God has worked in your life are tangible examples of his love and his faithfulness. These experiences shape your calling. They help you realize how God can use you in the most effective ways. Let's look at the example seen in Mark 5. Let's focus on what Jesus does for him and what Jesus tells him to do. So here's a couple of questions if you could discuss amongst yourselves at the table. There's three of them. You can pick, go through all three and just pick one. We've got, uh, we've got about five to ten minutes. The first one is, what did Jesus tell the man to do in verse 19? The second is, which of your own personal transformation experiences have been or could be me- meaningful to others? When have you, could you, share them? Ask God to provide opportunities to listen to others and share what God God has done for you. So if with that, we'd just take five to ten minutes at our table and and, uh, maybe talk a little bit about that scripture and talk about the way that God's moving your heart and if it it specifically relates to to, uh, restoring God's temple, that's great too. So five to ten minutes. Thanks.